This is Disentangling Disinformation, a podcast from the British Embassy in The Hague. In this series, we're asking, what is disinformation? How does it work? And why does it matter? Disinformation is nothing new. Deception, propaganda, call it what you will, it's all been part of conflict way back into history. But the world is changing. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought conflict to our televisions, social media and newspapers like never before. And with that has come a barrage of disinformation. New technologies have brought us closer together, connecting societies across the world. But it's also made it harder and harder to discern what exactly is the truth and how can we trust what we read. There's disinformation, misinformation, fake news, some things that are true, some are false, some are partly true. We'll come back to that. Today I'm joined by Laura Jasper from the Hague Centre for Strategic Studies and Eugene Loos from the University of Utrecht. They've joined us to share their own views based on their expertise and research on disinformation and what it is. So I'm going to start, uh, Laura, with a question to you, which is, can you just tell, um, tell us a little bit about what, what the difference between misinformation and disinformation is? Yes, certainly. So the main difference between misinformation and disinformation is the intent behind the sharing of the information. For misinformation, it could be that the person who is sharing it is not aware of the fact that it is false. So the intent is not to be harmful. However, the effect of sharing the information, the false information, can be harmful. For disinformation, it is really the intent to do harm. It's really the manipulative um, intent of deception that it is behind sharing the information. Do you agree with that, Eugene? Yes, 100%. I would say if the intent is to mislead, then we call this disinformation or even fake news. Uh, I think that's the most important. What are the common characteristics then of disinformation? So we know that the intent has to be there. It's intended to mislead. But what does it look like? How do we know it's disinformation? Yes, you also ask about the common uh, characteristics. And there is a, yeah. a, a complication there. That is that it is that both disinformation and misinformation, it can be partially true. So um, if it would be that easy to say it's 100% a lie, that would be easy. But, but both disinformation and it can be partially true. It is not 100% not true. There is always a part of doubt. So I, I think there's more and more issues done in, in that direction, not by me, but by others that the common thing is, the common characteristic, the main common characteristic uh, between uh, disinformation and misinformation is that it can be partially true. And in one case, it is uh, intentionally, and in the other, it is not. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, in terms of um, how that then appears online or in a media source or in a newspaper, um, is it, is it normal for um, images to be used? Is it normal for it to be text-based um, content? What's the kind of, what's the common disinformation method of communicating? So everything is used. We, we have text, as you said, we have pictures and we have moving pictures. So deep fakes. What is a deep fake in brief for our listeners? A deep fake for the listeners? Uh, I guess you already saw some deep fake. You saw Donald Trump before he got, uh, before he went to New York. There was already a little um, uh, film about Donald uh, Trump being arrested by police officers. 
we saw the Pope in a kind of white uh, ski jacket. Uh, I don't know the word in English. And it was also faking. So the, the, these were, uh, the, the Pope was a picture, but Donald Trump, you saw. Yeah, so it's basically a video or an image that has been doctored to look real. Um, yes. And which could, could mislead people because of how good it is. Exactly, and in the past you could see it because the sound was not with the gesture and everything, the mouth, but now they come, become better and better. And uh, it's incredible. And if I remind, well, I think I took the wrong example. I think Donald Trump also, these were, these were pictures. But there are others, there are movies, little small films. Uh, and in that case, uh, they are, as you were right to say, they are doctored. These films in the past were not so easy to see if it's true or not. But now it's, it, it's so, it's really very real. And Laura, what about how, how can people start to learn? How can people start to know whether things are fake? What's the, how can they identify this disinformation? But disinformation with the actor that is using these techniques are really aiming at exploiting the people's inability to distinguish between what is fake and what is real. This information is really intentional, manipulative, and often coordinated efforts to try to steer and, and affect people's ability to make decisions on what is real and what is not real. So in order to strengthen their ability to actually distinguish this, um, it's never going to be a, a one solution fits all type of, um, type of endeavor. This is going to be, um, you're going to have to train people on the literacy of what is possible on social media. It's social, the use of social media. They can use, um, for example, third party fact checking websites. You can see the reach of a certain post, like how many times has it been shared? What is the source? Is the source vague? Um, you're always going to have to use different techniques all at once, uh, use different websites to fact check. Um, and oftentimes, especially for the examples like deepfakes, it's going to be extremely difficult to find out whether something is real or not, because exactly that is their intent. It's to mess with your ability to find out whether something is real or not. And if you do it with AI, with deepfakes, images, videos, as with the, the, the examples that Professor just gave of, of Donald Trump and the Pope, it is extremely difficult and oftentimes it needs some kind of more technical forensic research to actually find out whether or not you're dealing with the deepfake. So Eugene, how can, how can an ordinary person work it out? What's the best way that they can arm themselves against these disinformation campaigns? Is it about using scrutiny? Is it about using particular websites? What would you recommend? It's all about attitude. You should have a critical attitude. We call this critical thinking and... Um, there are globally three ways to tackle the problem. One is legally, just try to forbid some information to, to delete it from the internet, for example. That's a legal way to do this. The other is software to detect fake news. But then, who makes the software? Who makes the algorithms? Who makes the criteria to decide wrong or right? So I'm for the third way, that is the educational way. So we should start at a young age uh, to to, to teach kids about this. And it's happening. It's happening in most countries and it's called media literacy. And it works very, very well. Sometimes a bit old fashioned, you just explain things, but there are also games. So the kids can play a game and by playing the game, they, they see the dangers 
uh, about this this fake fake news. So it's about education, and then not only for the youngest one, you should start there, of course, but you should also start when they get older. And I will start soon if I get the funding uh, a new project at Utrecht University for our own students. So not only to find reliable information for their master thesis or for their bachelor thesis, no, um, more profound for everything. So also in their private life, as when they are at home or at work when they finish their studies, how can you be critical? Uh, and there are different methods you can teach them to be critical. And after, not only for students, we can go on for all of us. I think we are all in danger and I think it's extremely difficult in some cases to decide if something is right or wrong. And then the only way to tackle this is that you are trained in critical thinking. And um, can we pair that critical thinking, which sounds really sensible and it sounds really fun that we're giving kids um, games to to start learning how to think differently and think more critically and think more independently. Can we pair that with um, platforms that are fact checkers? Or we saw, we saw, for example, Twitter trying to do it through, um, through fact checks on particular posts. Fact checking is part of this. So we should also, but scientists are not so sure. Some say they are in favor of fact checking because some people say when it is fact checked, they don't believe this. They get more uh, suspicious than before. So I think the only way to do, you could, you could of course combine this. You, you could also use fact checking by, by a good newspaper, for example. Um, and of course, you could delete some information from the internet in, in a legal way. So these two ways, technological and, and, and legally, yeah. are two good ways. But the third one, the education should really be, and these are really easy to learn for all of us. And I have, I have an advice for the, for the listeners to the podcast. Um, just go to, to media literacy platforms. Um, we have one in the Netherlands and to the platform for the kids because it's explained extremely well also for adults. Go to those platforms. Each country has at least one for school kids. If you Google, you go to your country, uh, you go to, to the, to the um, to this platform, and then you get very basic stuff like consider the source, the source, check the author, check the date, uh, check your own biases, uh, and use, of course, other sources. Are there other sources that support this text, uh, picture, or video? So, yeah. and it, you should say it is for kids, but it's for all of us. It is explained extremely well. So, I can only advise for your country where you live, Google on media literacy, and there will be a kind of an association for kids. It's quite challenging, isn't it, sometimes when you're looking at whether uh, lots of different sites repeat the same information. Because when we, we've seen, Laura, when we've seen what Russia have been doing, that they have employed a whole host of people to put the same information out on, the, on a variety of different sites, which I guess can make it seem to some people who don't have those critical thinking skills, Eugene, um, that, that it's valid and that it's, that it's the right kind of information. I mean, is, is, that, is that accurate? And, and sort of adding on to that, what have you seen Russia do in terms of disinformation and how they spread it? Well, also, as Eugene just mentioned there, if you talk about wanting to 
wanting to fight disinformation, there's a very intricate line between disinformation and civil rights. There is freedom of speech, there is freedom of expression. So labeling certain posts or labeling certain uh, images as disinformation is sometimes very difficult. You're, you can label it, but then deleting it would be maybe an infringement of freedom of speech, of freedom of expression, etc. Yeah, sure. So if you have these whole troll farms, for example, that are being employed or that could be employed uh, by state and non-state actors, and they flood the internet with certain types of information, then you would be able to, oh, so this is shared so many times, so it must be right. It's, it can sign both ways because if it is by dubious sources, vagueness sources, like if the source is vague, if the same message is repeated over and over again, then that could also lead to, to the fact that you could be like, okay, so this is vague. It's repeated a lot. So this might be information because yeah. as, if you mentioned Russia, they have these tactics of amplifying a message over and over and over again. And this is a way that they use to, to really spread the message, message of this information in order to deny or justify certain ends. Yeah. So we saw, I think, with the Salisbury attack that there were over 40 explanations given, um, for the Salisbury attack. I mean, clearly, they can't all be, they can't all be true. Exactly. Um, but that seems to me like a Russian tactic of flooding, um, flooding the internet with a whole range of um, explanations that all point to Russia um, being exonerated, um, but which are clearly, you know, inappropriate and inaccurate. Exactly. If you if you're flooding the public space with a number of messages that people are not just also not physically able anymore to read every single explanation and to make up their mind of what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. And then you, for example, you would employ a fact checker. Then as Rizny also already mentioned, they will be critical of the fact checker, but because it's again, another explanation of what could have happened. So this amplifying a message or amplifying the same message or flooding all kinds of different messages are definitely techniques of this information that can be used to various ends, either to deny something, to offer as an, an alternative explanation or to any other means. And we've just touched briefly on Russian disinformation and you talked about troll farms and about amplifying. Is that are they the same tactics that historically other actors have used for disinformation? Or are we seeing something new come out of Moscow at the moment? Well, disinformation in itself is a very ancient tactic. Uh, deceiving, manip manipulating the opponent is something that has been used as far back as the, the Peloponnesian War between the Athens and Sparta. So the... The tactic itself is not new. Deceiving, manipulating is something that has been used for centuries. The the means that is being used to do this are new and they are evolving every day uh, with emerging technologies, with AI, troll farms. So the practice itself is not new, but the means that are being used to this end, they are new and they are, there are new means emerging every single day. And is that is that what you think as well, Eugene? Yeah, I can only agree with that and it, this historical dimension, it is nothing new at all. The, the main point here is that the way it is distributed, produced, and distributed and consumed has changed that it's so everybody now can can go to the internet and and say everything and that is a big big change and there was another thing i would like to add is how you can see you can suspect something is maybe there is something wrong i'm from i'm a trained uh, um, a linguist and these texts if, it, if we talk about texts uh, they offer a lot of explanation points uh, in bold uh, capitals 
And I'm not going to say if it's, it's like that, it is 100% fake news, uh, disinformation. No, but you should be aware of this. If you see these kinds of things, then you say, that, hmm, that's interesting. And at least check other sources because, and that's another important point here, it is about all about emotions. So um, what is communicated is not facts as such. The facts are a vehicle to uh, produce to 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 to, to uh, influence people uh, at an emotional level, and and I think that's very very important to understand because if we want to combat um, disinformation, we often going to explain that something is not true, but that's a cognitive level and it's only part of the story. You should also learn from those who <laughs> produce uh, disinformation because they are very well equipped on the emotional level. And if we want to, 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 to fight disinformation, we should, we should not just debunk with only with facts, but you should also try to find good examples at an emotional level that people make, uh, make people think in a critical way and not just uh, debunk with facts. And Laura, how do you think you can combat that emotional response to disinformation um, as a government? What would you... You know, what would you do? And then as a citizen, how can you help? Well, as, as already been mentioned, it also comes down to being critical, being taught from a very young age that not everything you find on the internet or outside of the internet as well is, is true, is real. Uh, it's about creating, as Regine said, uh, media literacy. It's about just being, like, being sensible about what you're consuming whether that is by talking to a person, because of course it's not all on the internet. It can originate on the internet, but then these storylines can go and live their own lives in a little bit. So it's about being critical. It's about being sensible. It's about being aware that it is happening. Because for especially with things like conspiracy theories, it's very difficult to impose upon someone what is true and what is not true. In the age of today, there are a hundred different versions of the truth. And everyone is entitled to their own version of the truth. So it's about being aware of those 99 other different versions that other people may have. From a government perspective onwards, if certain types of disinformation really touch their critical, the critical infrastructure, the, the critical policies that they are driven when something is actually factually wrong and it can be proven quite easily, there are a number of different fact-checking websites. For example, the European Union has a website called EU versus Disinfo, yeah. where they really nuddle down on, on different um, examples of disinformation coming from well different actors. And I think we've got BBC Reality Check yes, as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's about, from government perspective, really not pushing, but trying to fuel these different types of fact-checking. Because one fact-checker also, I would say, don't rely on one fact-checking website only. Look at different ones. Because yeah. if you only look at one different fact-checking website, it is humanly possible that it's wrong, which would be the misinformation versus disinformation again. So it comes down to very basic characteristics of being sensible, being critical, being aware, and then also providing a platform for, for discussion for this. Because if there is no dialogue, if yeah. people really hold on to their own, like, siloed versions of the truth and there is no dialogue, then there will also not be any change. Um, so just let's just kind of go back a little bit to, um, to Russia and what Russia is doing. Can you tell me a little bit, Laura, about what 
goals you think Russia is currently pursuing through disinformation? I think that for Russia, it goes further than the tactical, the practical level. Um, it's not just their foreign policy. It's really a strategic objective at this point. Um, their main goal, I think, at this point is to distort, to deny, and in essence, to deceive. So their efforts are not only to sway the public opinion, but also to create, for example, um, rifts between the populations of their adversaries. Uh, this is just a, if you dial it all back and, and you add everything together, it's not one goal. It's all of it together is to achieve some kind of strategic objective that is creating just, might just create chaos in between the population and, and polarization of an adversary. So it's, it goes a lot further. It's not just, one war or not just one conflict. It's an entire strategic objective and uh, that they are pursuing. And disinformation is one tool of that? Is one tool of that and one, in some ways, very effective tool. There is a number of examples here um, going back to 2016 with the presidential elections um, where creating polarization within a population of the adversary trying to sway the outcome of a particular presidential election that's a strategic objective. That's not just foreign policy or, or not, just, uh, not just any type of warfare. Sure. And we saw it also in, um, in Africa, and I won't name the country, but where some journalist accounts, um, like social media accounts, were hacked um, in order to send out false narratives within that country about the war in Ukraine. Um, and I think that was also an attempt to undermine uh, the kind of tr the truth and the true narrative um, by getting... Uh, other uh, sort of more reputable sources um, behind uh, their, their very dangerous narrative um, through nefarious means. So I think, it's, I think it's really interesting what you say about it being a strategic goal and not just being, um, not just being a kind of tactic anymore. Um, final question then from me is, if you were going to leave people with one thought on disinformation... Um, what would that be, Laura? Well, very simply that to be aware that it's out there, to be critical of what you hear, be critical of what you see, whether that is text, whether that is video, whether that is pictures. Uh, just be aware that there is a plethora, plethora of different ways that you can be manipulated yeah. or deceived to believe something. Even if you're not aware that this is happening, then you are going to be well, vulnerable to these different types of ways that this information takes place. So it's just be aware, be critical, and be wary of your sources that you're using. Thank you. And Eugene? I would say, if it's only one sentence, three words, use different sources. Yeah. And I would like to add one thing. Yeah. That's, that's a problem with ChatGPT. ChatGPT yeah. is a very particular problem because imagine we would only have ChatGPT. So third machines, probably soon you ask a question, you don't get any links anymore and you just get an answer by ChatGPT or another AI info system. And imagine journalists are also going to use ChatGPT because it's so easy uh, to have this information. Where are our other sources? That's why I say 
uh, we need different so use different sources great thank you can i add yeah of course okay? you can Laura. i think also maybe a little bit going from chat gpt is that with this information there is not always a shared definition amongst governments, amongst social media platforms, amongst yeah. citizens. So a shared definition is also very important in, t in order to be able to identify yeah. this information. And there is, in general, also a, a lack of norms between governments within social media platforms. And these norms and values could also be a means to try to pose another way to deal with this information, just norms between governments of what, is, what they are doing, what they are not doing, what are we allowed to do. Okay. And within social media platforms, and how we how we and can how manage we that with so social media companies, and yeah. and um, what their what our expectations of them ought to be exactly as well. Yeah. Great, thank you both. Thank Very you much. for having us. You're welcome. Thanks, Laura and Eugene, for joining us on this first episode of Disentangling Disinformation, where we really drilled down into what disinformation is. Next week, we'll be joined by Margot and Anouk, and we'll be looking at how disinformation works and which forums are most frequently used to distribute it. I'm Charlotte Jago. Thanks for listening.